James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God for us today. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as we come before your word now with hearts that are eager to hear from you. We're your children. You're our Father. We want to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, we believe that all of your word is for our good, that all of it is meant to instruct and guide us into a life of blessing a life of flourishing, a life that glorifies and honors you and blesses our fellow man. So Lord, we pray now as we consider the final verses of chapter one here in the book of James that you would give to us understanding and that your spirit would minister to our hearts, that you would bless us now as we give heed to your holy word. So Lord, we commit this time of study to you and uh, ask God that you would be glorified, you'd be magnified in the way that we understand your word, the way that we listen to your word, and of course, the way that we ultimately apply your word. And we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, it can sound a little bit like James has totally shifted gears here, now in verse 19, from where we've been over the last three, three weeks, because we spent the last three weeks covering the first major section of the book of James, which spanned verses 1 through 18. And these verses, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, dealt with the first major theme of the book, which is the testing of our faith. You'll see it here on the board, uh, the testing of our faith. And we specifically talked about how our faith is being tested through trials and through temptations. Well, that was the last three weeks. Now we're shifting into the next major uh, section of the book, which we've titled Hearing and Doing the Word, which is going to cover uh, the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2. And again, it almost sounds like, though, in verse 19 here, as we're hitting this new section, like James is completely jumping into a brand new topic, that he's just stopped what he's doing and started something else. And if we're honest, it sounds like what he's trying to do 
is just kind of give some sage advice for living your life and living a good life when he writes, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's almost as if this is James's version of God gave you two ears and one mouth so that you would listen twice as much as you speak. And although that's sage advice, and that is definitely wise, that's not really what James is referring to here. Here's what I mean. If we go back to verse 18, we learned last week about the greatest gift that comes down to us from above, from the Father of lights, which was the gift of the new birth, that God has given us this new birth, which makes us the first fruits or the initial harvest of God's new creation. And what I intentionally ignored last week was how God brings about this new birth the way in which God causes this to happen. And the reason I ignored that last week is because it is now our transition into the teaching this week. So let's look at it now together. Look back at verse 18 for me. It tells us there that of his own will he brought us forth, or some translations, caused us to be born. How? By the word of truth. So the way in which God has caused us to be born again is through the word of truth. That begs a question. What is the word of truth? What is James referring to here? Well, the word of truth is a comprehensive description of all of Scripture. So in other words, here's the word of truth. Your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we see This in 2 Timothy 2.15, where Paul writes to young Timothy, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And Paul here is referring to the whole counsel of God's word, all of Scripture. So this is a refer, or he's referring to all of Scripture. But he's especially referring to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this in several places. Consider Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul writes there, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth. And now he's going to qualify it. What am I referring to, Paul's asking? The gospel. He does the same thing in Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the way that God causes people to be born again, the way that God brings people into his family, into uh, the, causes us to be the first fruits of the new creation, is through the word, and specifically through the gospel. The Word of God as it's being preached. The Word of God as it's being read. The Word of God as it's being discussed among God's people. That is the fuel that God uses to ignite faith in the hearts of people. Think of it this way. The Word of God is like the kindling and the sticks on the campfire. And the Holy Spirit is the spark that ignites the blaze. That's the way that it works. The Word of God is the fuel that God uses to bring faith about. 
We see this connection super clearly in Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And church, this is why here at Apostles Church, we make it our aim to saturate everything that we say and everything that we do in the Word of God. Because my words don't matter. Well, that's an overstatement. They matter. Your words matter. But they don't matter like His Word matters. And His Word is what can bring faith about in the hearts of people. Far be it from us to be a church that ignores God's Word, that turns to some other thing. No, we're about God's Word in everything that we say and do. Okay. That was all just foundation, church. Now let's get into our sermon, okay? Here's the connection to our section this morning. Check it out. The Word is what God uses to initiate the work of salvation. That's verse 18. And the Word of God is what God uses to continue the work of salvation in our lives. That's what we're going to see in the verses before us today. The initial work of salvation, what I was just referring to, where God causes us to be born again, that initial work of regeneration and conversion, where we come to faith, that is a result of the Word as we saw. But you need to know the continuing work of salvation, which is called sanctification, is also through the Word. Now, sanctification, I just threw that out there like everybody should know. That's a fancy little theological term that means simply this. Sanctification is the process by which God is making you and me more like Jesus Christ. Sanctification is the process in which God is making you and me more like Jesus Christ. And the verses before us this morning show us that there are two things that we must do in order to be sanctified through the Word. Number one, this is going to be so eye-opening. You're just going to be shocked by this. This is so deep. Number one, hear the Word. Hear the Word. Look again at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone or every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. See, we're still talking about the word and its work in our lives. James says here that we need to be quick to hear. Quick to hear. We must listen to the Word. Quick to hear connotes an eagerness to listen to the Word. An eagerness to listen. I wonder if you are a good listener. Now don't try to answer that, because if we wanted the truth, we would have to talk to your spouse or to your parents. They might tell us something different than you would say about whether or not you're a good listener. But listening is essential to learning. How can I learn if I'm not listening and receiving knowledge and information? So we need to develop habits to hear the Word. 
We need to listen to the Word as it's preached, as I said earlier. That is one of the major benefits of regularly gathering together on the Lord's Day, where we hear the Word of God being preached. We need to hear the Word of God by reading it. This is where daily devotions come in. Where every day we as Christians make it a practice, a spiritual practice, to say, I am going to hear from God today. I'm going to hear his word. I'm going to open it up and I'm going to read it. We need to make it a habit to discuss the word of God with one another. This, of course, is in part the value of community groups, where we get together in smaller groups several times a month. And what are we doing? We are discussing the word together. We are creating intentional rhythms in our lives where we can hear the word so that we can listen to it. Next he says, we need to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. I don't know if that's hard for you. It's hard for me. It was evidently hard for these people. James had to say, be slow to speak. Why is that important? Because we can't listen if we're doing all the talking. If we're the ones that are busy speaking, 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 we aren't going to hear anything. We are not going to be able to listen if we're doing all the talking. Or, here's the struggle a lot of us have, if while somebody else is talking, what we're doing is planning our next statement, thinking about how we're going to respond to what they're saying. So we're nodding and we're looking at them, but internally we're just thinking about our own thoughts and what we want to say. That's not listening. If we're busy speaking or formulating our speech, we cannot hear the word. In the churches that James is writing to, people were spending too much time speaking and sharing their own thoughts and ideas, and evidently they were doing it rashly, and not enough time listening and absorbing God's word. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with sharing your perspective. But listen, here's the key. Our words should come slowly. Our words, our speech as believers should be carefully considered. Or maybe I can put it to you this way. Our words should be guided by His Word. Our words should be guided by His Word. So that first and foremost, He speaks and we listen And then his words are formulating the way that you and I begin to speak in the community that is called the church. Lastly, he writes here in verse 19 to be slow to anger. Failure to listen in the church and a rush to speak is a breeding ground for conflict. When people are responding emotionally and rashly, when they're not carefully considering and absorbing God's word, and when they're talking over and past one another, sin is at the door. Conflict is inevitable. Listen to Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent or wise. I like how the NLT puts it. It's very simple, very direct. It says, Too much talk leads to sin. Too much talk leads to sin. If we're just speaking, 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 we're going to create conflict. And James says this does not produce the righteousness of God. A church full of people 
who are ignoring God's word rather than listening to it, who are speaking rashly and emotionally instead of carefully and considerately, and stirring up conflict and anger rather than striving for peace and unity, is falling desperately short of the vision that God has for his people living in righteousness together. And if we choose to live this way, Guess what? We are a terrible, terrible picture for the watching world of what God intends for his people living under his word. So instead, James contends here that Christians must put away all evil. He uses very uh, broad terms like filthiness and rampant wickedness. And instead, he says we should receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now that word implanted is really, really important. Because what that word means is that God's word is not native to our hearts. God's word is not native. It's not, it was not always there. God planted his word in our hearts at the moment, moment that we first believed, right? That was verse 18. But this verse is teaching us that God is continuing to plant more and more of his word into our hearts as we make a practice of receiving it. We need to be a people who are, again, listening and hearing his word over and over and over again if we want to grow and mature. In other words, we don't come to faith through the word and then grow in our faith through some other thing. We come to faith through the word and we are going to grow and mature in our faith through, you got it, more of the Word. That's what we need. This is our spiritual food. This is what is going to form and shape us into the image of Christ and into a beautiful bride of Christ as a church that the watching world will be astounded as they look at. The Word continues the work of salvation through sanctifying us. Now hold on, focus. Provided that we receive it provided that we actually receive it. I said implanted is a very important word, and it is, it is. But here's another really important word in the text. Receive. Receive. What does it look like to receive the word? Is it to just accept it? Is it to just hear it or listen to it? No, James is going to clarify that to receive the word is to do it. To do it. That's why I titled my message, or I should say Ryan titled my message for me, Just Do It. Because he loves Nike, I guess. Just do it. James is making it very clear that in order for us to experience the transforming power of the Word, we can't just hear it, it begins there, but we also must do it. We see this in verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." Translation, hearing is not enough. Now, James is not 
giving us his own original ideas here. James is sharing with us an idea that he heard from his older brother and his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ some years before. In Jesus' conclusion to his most famous teaching ever, anybody know what that sermon was called? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives all of this amazing teaching to his followers. They're all gathered to him at the foot of a Mora Hill in, in uh, Galilee, and he gives the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm sure that everybody listening is going, oh my goodness, this is so deep. This is so profound. This is so good. This is so enriching. Where did Jesus get all of this great wisdom from? And Jesus gets to the end of his teaching, and everybody's very impressed with what he's saying, and then he drops this bombshell on them in his conclusion, and it goes like this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying that for the person who proverbially builds their life on not just hearing but obeying or doing his word, it's as if their life is established on a rock. Nothing is going to shake it. But for the person who hears his word and does not do it, they are building their life on shifting sand and their life will come crashing down. The difference in the teaching of Jesus is not one of hearing the word. Everybody gathered there before Jesus in, at the Sea of Galilee when he taught the Sermon on the Mount got to hear the word. The difference between the wise and the foolish person is whether or not they do what he says. The blessing is in the doing. To fail to do the word according to Jesus would bring great ruin. To fail to do the word according to James is to, check it out, deceive yourself. To deceive yourself. And to illustrate his point, he uses a very common analogy of looking at yourself in a mirror. That is a practice that all of us do every single day. We all use mirrors, and mirrors are very, very useful tools, are they not? Um, you can use a mirror to check your appearance. Sometimes you might be at lunch with somebody or dinner with somebody, and you're eating food, and you're talking to them at the same time, and aren't you sitting there sometimes, depending on what you're eating, and you're thinking, man, I would really like to see a mirror right now. Do I have food in my teeth? Sometimes you even excuse yourself and go to the bathroom to check and make sure you don't have food in your teeth, or if you've got a thick beard like this, food in your mustache or your beard, you want to know. That's why here's a pro tip for you this morning. What you can do is pull out your phone while you're at the table. Oh, excuse me, I need to respond to my wife with a text really quick. But really all you're doing is reversing your camera. So you're like texting, but it's like all these movements with your mouth, which is really weird. Pro tip, you're very welcome. But a mirror is helpful because you can check on your appearance or think about if it's a really windy day and you want to check on your hair. That's more relevant for some of us, obviously, than others in this room. But, but a mirror serves that purpose. When you look into the mirror, the value is that it's giving you a clear 
picture of yourself. It's giving you information about yourself that you can respond to. Now, in the ancient world, at the time of the New Testament, mirrors were made out of highly polished brass or bronze. Or sometimes wealthy people would have highly polished silver or gold. Now, these were extremely inferior to modern mirrors that are made out of glass. But with these ancient mirrors, if you really, really looked hard into them and you captured the right sunlight reflecting off of them, you could get a little bit more than a dim uh, reflection of yourself. You can get a decent picture of yourself if you really strained at it and worked at it hard and, and see yourself pretty clearly, which is kind of what he's alluding to in verse 23, this idea of the man who is looking intently. If he's really going to get a clear picture of himself, he has to put some work into it to see himself clearly. And James's point here is that the person who hears the word of God but doesn't do it is like the person who looks into that mirror, takes the time and the energy to see himself accurately only to fail to do anything beneficial as a result. So you go to the mirror and you see that you've got stuff in your teeth. And then you walk away and you don't address it and you forget that it's there. The time you spent in the bathroom looking in the mirror was a waste. It profits you nothing. So James is saying, look, all of the looking into God's word that you do, the many hours that you might spend taking it in, listening, hearing, hearing, if you don't go act on it, it was a total waste of your time. It doesn't profit you anything. It will be of no benefit. Well, God forbid that be our response to the word. In verse 25, he says, look, there's another way though. For the one who looks into the mirror of God's word, here called the perfect law and the law of liberty, and does it, he says, will be blessed in his obedience. Isn't that what you want in your life? Don't you want to be a person who is blessed? Well, he's saying to us, the blessing comes in the doing. Now, how so? Well, first of all, Notice James's usage of the term law of liberty or law of freedom when describing God's word. Now, most modern people do not associate law with liberty or freedom. Most modern people think of freedom as the complete absence of any restraint or any law. It's total and complete autonomy. That's our modern notion of freedom or liberty. But you need to understand this morning that the Bible considers that a very shallow and destructive view of freedom. The way that the Bible understands freedom is this way, in saying that true freedom is not to live your life with no restraints. True freedom is to live your life with the right kind of restraints. If you're a parent this morning, then you know this to be true. You know that in raising young children, if you were to just let your kids run amok with no rules whatsoever, sure, go play ball in the street. Sure, touch the hot stove. Sure, stick that fork or that other piece of metal into a light socket. Just do whatever you want. If you allowed your children to go through life with no rules, no restraints whatsoever, you know that you would be effectively handing your child over to destruction. Every good parent knows that some restraints to guide our children into what life could really be and ought to really be is important. Family, listen. 
In the same way, our Heavenly Father guides us into true freedom and liberty through His law so that we can flourish personally and interpersonally with each other and as a community. To ignore His Word is to invite destruction in the form of conflict and harm. But to do His Word is to invite blessing and peace. We also are blessed in the doing though because our doing the Word is the thing that gives evidence of our saving faith. Christians, you need to understand, must hear and do the Word of God. This teaching of James, which is based on the teaching of Jesus, soundly addresses the Roman Catholic and Orthodox Church's fear over the Protestant doctrine of justification by grace alone. See, their concern, which is a very biblical one, is a concern that people would think, oh, if I just accept certain Christian doctrine at the level of belief in my mind, then I'm going to heaven regardless of whether it impacts my life or not. That's their fear. That this idea that we're saved quite apart from our works might lead to a lifestyle of just doing nothing for God and continuing to live in sin. Well, we'll get more into this in chapter 2 where James teaches that faith without works is dead. But for now, notice that James is teaching what Protestants, at their very best, have always believed, which is that the evidence that you've truly experienced the new birth is this, a transformed life. The evidence that you have been born again is that you start living a life of obedience to the Word of God. This is the thing that separates the pretenders from the true believers. And that's exactly what James is eager to demonstrate in his conclusion to this section. In verse 26, James is going to call out the pretenders. Those who, as he puts it, think they are religious. Now, the word religious here in James 1.26 refers to external religion. It, re it refers to going to church, for example. It refers to practicing the rituals, to reciting the creeds. You can have all of that and still have a religion that is worthless. A religion that profits you nothing. Listen, a religion that displeases Almighty God. The evidence of true religion is much deeper and transformative than that. Notice that true religion, religion that God accepts, obeys God's word from the heart. And James in these final verses is going to point to three evidences of true religion. Or to put it differently, three examples of hearing and doing the word. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. First, he's going to address speech. And James is calling for a new type of speech. He talks about bridling one's tongue. Think of how we bridle a horse. He's going to develop this more in chapter 3. Bridling our, our tongue, controlling our tongue. For James and for the rest of the New Testament authors, one of the clearest indicators of a person who is being sanctified by God's Word 
is a new way of speaking. James is going to address speech in all five chapters of this letter. Remember, our words should be guided by our words should be guided by our words should be guided by his word. It's a new way of speaking. It's a new type or a new kind of speech. Jesus also points to our words as evidence of deep transformation in our lives. Listen to Luke 6.45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is showing us this profound connection between what's in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. So that again, a new kind of speech is a very profound indicator of whether or not God's word is in us. After new speech, he looks to new compassion. James is saying that the kind of religion that is true religion, that is God-honoring religion, is going to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You need to know that at this time, there, was, there, were, there were no forms of social wel- welfare, excuse me, and there were largely no sustainable employment opportunities for a woman. So for a woman to be widowed at the time of the New Testament made her basically helpless if she didn't have a family to take care of her. She was entirely vulnerable. Orphans, of course, are extremely vulnerable without the provision and protection of their parents. Modern ideas of orphanages and adoption were very foreign in the ancient world. And so what James is saying here is that a religion that doesn't move us to love and care for those who are the most vulnerable in our society is not true religion. To say with our mouths, oh, I love God, oh, I'm a follower of God, but to ignore the suffering of those people who were created in his image is to actually prove that you don't love God. Daniel, that's really strong. Here's what 1 John says, 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Then this verse is on our bulletins this week. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We worship a compassionate father who shows mercy certainly to his children, but even to his enemies. And as image bearers of that God, we are called to be a people who demonstrate compassion to those who are in need. Third and finally, he's calling for a new lifestyle. Look at verse 27 again. He says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, some Christians tragically live as if the word unstained is crossed out there. So that true and undefiled religion for them is to keep oneself from the world. Some Christians tragically live their lives as if they have to avoid the world at all costs. Their idea is isolation, not infiltration. Batten down the hatches, close off the church, shun the non-believers. That's the way that they choose to live creating a Christian bubble, only hanging out with other believers, 
And in doing this, they create an echo chamber when, where all that they get is people reinforcing their own ideas and we're cut off from the world around us. The family to live this way is surely to hide our lamp under the bed, to use Jesus' metaphor. Unfortunately, other Christians go too far the other way. Other believers fully immerse themselves in the world. They speak the same way. They listen to all the same music. They watch all the same movies and television shows. They go to the same parties. They dress exactly the same way. They follow all of the same pursuits as the world. Wealth and luxury, notoriety, travel and leisure, power and privilege, etc. Family, listen, both of these approaches are wrong. The Scriptures are calling us to a middle ground a compelling, attractive middle ground. The word unstained is so helpful here. What is a stain? Well, a stain is something that leaves a mark on you. Both of my boys, as I've mentioned before, are athletes. They play Little League. They play soccer. And they come home from every single game full, full of grass stains. I can't for the life of me understand why you would put five and seven-year-olds in white baseball pants. They make other colors. Or white soccer socks. Our kids get white socks continuously. Like, who is behind these decisions? If you're involved at the league level in Little League in our community, can we just change the white thing? Us parents come home and we have to soak our kids' clothes in bleach because they are stained. The grass has left a mark on their clothing. What James is calling us to is the same thing Jesus has called us to. To be the type of people who are in the world, but we're not of the world. Christians should be those who can lovingly interact with non-believers without, listen, without being sucked into their worldview and their value system. We should be able to meet with them, invite them into our home, engage them, love them, befriend them without allowing that, the world's value system to stain us or to leave its mark on us so that we're not laughing at all of their jokes, so that we're not singing all of their songs, so that we're not enjoying all of their films. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that all secular music is of the devil. Please, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we can't watch movies besides The Passion of the Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we as believers as followers of Jesus Christ, should not be enjoying, we should not be finding our source of entertainment from things that are promoting and glorying in the very things that our Father hates, in the very things that are contributing to the destruction of people that are made in God's image that we should be loving. That should not be funny to us. That should not be entertaining to us. And it's a good litmus test for where we're at. Romans 12.2 is very helpful. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. The idea there is being formed like a potter forms clay. He's saying, don't let the world take you and form you into its mold. But rather, he says, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is he talking about? As we hear and do the word, we're being transformed into another mold, the mold of Jesus Christ. So James is saying, family, rather than letting the world leave its mark on you, you should be leaving a mark on it. So James's instruction this morning is clear. 
If we are truly those who have been brought forth by the word of truth, then we ought to be those who go forth by the word of truth. We ought to be those that when we hear the word, even as we have this morning, we just do it. We just do it. Now this message can hit us in one of three ways, at least. If you can think of a fourth way, I'm open to that. At least in one of three ways. For some of us this morning, this word can be convicting. Where the Holy Spirit is taking things that are being said and cutting our hearts and saying, come on, let's move forward. Come on, let's grow. Come on, follow after. Let's push in. Let's grow. Let's mature. If that's how this message is hitting you this morning, that is good. Respond to that. That's the Holy Spirit wanting to produce growth. If you find in your heart this morning a desire saying, I want more of the Word and I want to live in greater and greater obedience to the Word, that is good. But for others this morning, this Word is not convicting you. Maybe what you're hearing this morning has condemned you. You're sitting and you're hearing the teaching of God's Word and all you can hear being said this morning is you're a failure. Because you've been hearing the Word for a long time and then you're looking at your life and you're going, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing, I'm struggling, I should be further along than I am right now. Something's not working, something's not right, I can't live up to this, I'm not what I ought to be. If that's the voice that you're hearing in this message this morning, here's what you need to do. You need to be reminded once again this morning that there is one who did it on your behalf. Jesus perfectly heard the word of God. He perfectly understood the, the will of God. And he perfectly and faithfully lived it out. He did it every single time. And guess what the gospel tells me? He did it for you. So this morning, rather than feeling condemned by faith, trust in Jesus that you will never be condemned for your failures because by faith you are in him. Let the love of God be your motivation this morning to hear and do this word, to get back up and continue receiving the implanted word over and over and over again. Lastly, maybe the word didn't convict you this morning. Maybe the word hasn't condemned you this morning. Maybe the word intends to convert you this morning. Maybe you've joined us this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've maybe heard the word at different points in your life, but you've never done it. You've never responded in faith and obedience to the word of God. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you're saying for the first time in your life, this is actually resonating with me. For some strange reason, what's being said is making sense to me. I'm understanding this. I'm grasping this. In fact, I'm actually being attracted to this friend. If that is you here this morning, please, please, please heed the words of the author of Hebrews where he writes today. If you can hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Maybe for you today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God is using his word to bring forth brand new life, eternal life for you. If that is the case, then decide today to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Decide today to receive the implanted word. Decide today to not only hear the word, but by God's grace to do it. Because as you do, God will cause you to be born again through the word of truth.
Which response is yours this morning? Let's pray. Almighty God, we are once again astounded by your glory, by your greatness, by your love, by your power. Lord, this morning we are once again reminded of the same truth we're reminded of every week, which is that we are a people who are in desperate need of intervention, of help from the outside. Your word comes to us from the outside. You are the one who implants it in us over and over again. It's all about you and what you are doing for your people. So this morning, Lord, I would just pray, together with this church family, we would pray that you would be so gracious to once again implant more of your word into our hearts. Let it take root there. Let it grow up and bear much fruit through our obedience to your word so that we might be blessed and so that we might be a blessing to many others. And Lord, we ask this now in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.